You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Author, blogger, and journalist J.D. Lassica goes on the record online about social media and citizen journalism. My managing editor actually issued an edict at one point saying any story containing the word the web has to be officially approved by me. So they, were, they saw the web as a competition to, to newspapers, and that kind of mindset you know, sort of still pr- pervades... And thanks for joining me for another episode of On the Record Online, the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. Um, If you're a first-time listener of the show, we do in-depth, one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as from time to time, podcasters and bloggers and newsmakers on the subject of how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the business of media as we know it. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman, and I'm the founder and president of iPressroom Corporation. Uh, We are a web-hosted software uh, solution for interactive marketing and online public relations. Um, You can send me feedback on the show uh, at eric at ontherecordpodcast.com or by posting a comment to my blog, which is www.spinfluencer.com. Uh, this is a special episode of On the Record Online recorded from the New Communications Forum, uh, which is taking place in Palo Alto, California on March 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 2006. Uh, if you would like to subscribe to the program, uh, you can pick up the feed at www.ontherecordpodcast.com. And now, without any further um, uh, fluff or introductions, uh, we are going to play for you the uh, podcast with J.D. Lassica after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom. Tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom. Always on, even when you're off. J.D. Lassica, thanks for joining us. It's fantastic to be here. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have you here because um, I know that you have to leave soon, so I appreciate you cutting out the time to do this. Sure. So I want to start um, by asking you, I know you started as a journalist in the mainstream media. Um, tell, us, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, I was a dead trees guy for 20 years. I was working in daily newspapers. I was at the Sacramento Bee for 11 years. And by the mid-90s, you know, the writing was on the wall with what was happening on online with the web. Um, and the kind of resistance that traditional media have to this new media form was pretty evident. Um, my managing editor actually issued an edict at one point saying, any story containing the word the web has to be officially approved by me. So they, were, they saw the web as a competition to, to newspapers, and that kind of mindset you know, sort of still per- pervades old media. What paper was this? 
Uh, well, I don't want to bam out of them. It was the Sacramento Bee, but I think it was pretty typical of the attitudes of traditional media. Hold on one sec. Let's pause. We're going to go into blogging, I guess. Okay. <clears throat> and so when you were in mainstream media, what was your beat? What did you cover? I was an editor um, in the entertainment section, so a lot of the fluff stuff. But I also did a lot of freelance writing. I was the first new media columnist for the American Journalism Review. I was one of the early columnists for the Online Journalism Review. And um, I guess I was one of those people who, who just caught the bug and thought that the future of this industry is online. And when did you leave the paper? Um, in the mid-90s, I think 96, um, I actually joined Microsoft, believe it or not. I was a senior manager at uh, their city guide project called Sidewalk and uh, went on to a number of other startups after that, working in content and trying to create communities and commerce around the idea of people coming online. And now you are executive director of Our Media, which is a sort of populist uh, initiative to, I guess, help people contribute to the Internet Archive? Sure, but um, populist sort of suggests a political agenda. Uh, We're basically a repository and a community site, so... Uh, it's a very simple value proposition. We let anybody anywhere in the world upload any work of personal media to us. We'll store it, give you free bandwidth, and preserve it forever for free. And it sounds like a crazy idea, uh, but Brewster Kale, we went to him about a year ago. Uh, we launched one year ago. And we said, you know what? I mean, the archive uh, at archive.org is a really interesting concept, but it really is built for scholars and historians and, you know, this professional cast, let's blow open the doors of the archive and make it democratic and let anybody come in. And he said, okay, let's try it as an experiment. And, you know, we're one year old this month, and uh, we've got 83,000 members, over 150,000 works of video and audio and photos and tanks that people have uploaded, and we're, we're making up over two-thirds of the stuff coming onto the archive server. So it's been, it's been a wild success, and we're, we're taking it into even new directions this year. How do you separate the wheat from the chaff? So in, yeah. with the Library of Congress, you know, they decide what they're going to, uh, what they're going to hold. And, and with you, I mean, there's, there's nobody exercising any, any editorial oversight whatsoever, right? Well, um, unlike the archive, where they actually have a team of curators approving every work that comes in, and it takes like three days to get your stuff live on the web, we have instant publishing. And so the only thing we do is tell our members what they're allowed to do, what not. <clears throat> Let's stop here. Come on in. Yeah. Uh, where were we? We're back. Um, we're recording this in a boardroom at a hotel, and every now and then someone knocks at the door, so we keep having to turn it off. But I'm, I'm explaining that so that uh, we won't have to actually edit that out when we finish this file and upload it. <laughs> uh, but we were talking about... So um, how do you find the good stuff, yeah. right? Um, you, yeah. And uh, so the thing, the really interesting thing and the big challenge for any kind of site like ourmedia.org is that, um, dem- that media is becoming very democratic, which means that it's very messy right now. And But I think, you know, this new, this new kind of paradigm suggests that instead of having a cadre of curators or filters or gatekeepers, it's really going to be up to the audience to decide what's valuable, to, to put value on the stuff that they like. And it means that instead of these mass commodities of, of content files that, um, you know, a publisher or an elite 
kind of organization or network has decided is sort of like the the watered-down, least common denominator that can attract a mass audience, you're going to be seeing thousands and thousands of these kind of micro-niches, micro-content that uh, does attract a smaller audience, but an intensely loyal audience. And um, so we're so one of, that's one of the challenges we're facing, frankly, this year is, you know, we're, we're instituting things like tagging and social networking and ratings and, uh, you know, community kind of generated uh, rankings so that uh, the front page of the site is actually going to be done uh, not by an editor of the week, which is what we have right now, but it's going to be done by the audience. So um, there's a lot of talk about remixing and um, the repurposing of, of information and content. And, uh, you know, it doesn't, it seems to me it's not really that new of a thing because I went to film school <laughs> and when you first take your editing class, you do what's called a found footage project. They let you loose and you get all these clips and you edit them together and you try to, you know, through, through semiotics, try to get some meaning out there by putting images up against each other. What is the uh, objective and value of this archive, repository of information, uh, for from a remixing standpoint, from a repurposing standpoint? Right. <clears throat> you know what? It's kind of hard right now to find um, legally available footage, video footage, or photographs, or imagery, or, or audio, or music that you can incorporate into your own work. Um, I'm going to a lot of different colleges. I wrote a book last year called Darknet and uh, probably traveled more in the last year than I have in my entire life. And, you know, you you go to these campuses and you find out. (laughs) We have, uh, oh, great, we have engineering. Um, We're trying to get a broadband connection here on on this computer. Um, Can you help us out with that? You need a what? Uh, We want to get, it's not working. That's not working. Should we go back on? So the engineer is going to try to get the Wi-Fi, uh, the, the broadband going while we continue the conversation here. We're at a frenetic pace here. Um, so one of the things that I explored in Darknet was remix culture, is what we're calling it. Uh, Larry Lessig wrote about this in Free Culture, and it's the idea that um, young people especially, but a, a, lot, uh, a lot of the members of the digital generation expect to interact with media differently than they did in the old days, so that we want to be able to access our culture. We want to be able to... Thanks. We want to be able to pull down images and footage from television and movies. And, and you know, the trouble is if you ask for permission from the, the movie studios or the television networks, they're always going to say no or they're going to ignore you. So, you know, there are all these questions of fair use. What are, what are you allowed to do or not? So one of the things we, we want to do with our media this year, and we're looking for people to volunteer to help us, is to create a remix center. And the idea is that we're going to have a legal place for people to come and access uh, video and photos and audio. And it's all going to be licensed under Creative Commons or it's all going to be public domain material. And you're going to be able to pull that down to your own computer, remix it, mash it up, create something really new and startling and interesting, and then reload it up to the web and uh, maybe even sell it if you'd like. Um, and all the rights are going to be cleared and in place. So it's, it's going to be an interesting new extension of where I think our, our culture is heading. Now, I know you're a, a proponent of open source software, and I want to talk a little bit about open source as it pertains to the private sector. Um, do you think, from a strategic standpoint, that it makes more sense for uh, businesses to be um, using open source software tools 
to publish their content and manage their content on the web? Yeah, I do. I mean, you, you, you look at the tech sector and what's happening with Sun and IBM and, and other kinds of uh, major companies that are embracing Linux, um, and which is like the first, the granddaddy of open source. Um, but now you're seeing all these sort of interesting, what we insiders call Web 2.0 companies, these little startups of a, of a dozen people or so. And uh, in almost every case, they're kind of dependent on this tool set of open source uh, platforms or tools. If you go to sites like ning.com, N-I-N-G, um, you'll see uh, a suite of more than a dozen really trippy kind of uh, community Web 2.0 tool sets that they're giving away for free. And I think that uh, media companies, traditional companies, are missing the, the boat or missing an opportunity, at least, if they're not taking advantage of some of these things that they can freely incorporate into their existing uh, platforms. Now, I know you uh, mentioned that you were at a conference last week that was d- dedicated pretty much entirely to remixing. Mashup camp. And so what, what were some of the rig- big revelations that you took away from your experience there? Well, um, there were over 300 people there, um, only two that I noticed from traditional media companies. So, again, it's the tech sector, the first movers, the early adopters who are sort of really intrigued by this concept of mashups. And when so people don't, e- don't either – they either don't know what mashups are. They think it means uh, mixing together a couple of different musical songs to create some sort of underground dance mix. And that was a traditional idea behind mashups. But now – they're moving into this kind of uh, new definition of mashups that involve uh, software applications. So you take Google Maps, and for example, there's this really interesting, innovative thinker uh, named Adrian Halavati, who's a programmer at the Washington Post, and he lives in Chicago, and he created this site called ChicagoCrime.org. And he took Google Maps, and he lets you actually... Um, chart, if you walk to work, for example, you can chart um, all the crimes that happened along your your travel route. Or you can subscribe by RSS feeds to all the crimes that that have happened into your neighborhood. So when people think of RSS, which is a way to subscribe to different kinds of publications, you usually just think, okay, I want to be able to easily access um, my favorite bloggers or my favorite news publications. But now you can actually access um, data and facts, and that's the new kind of thing that's happening where where people can actually uh, get uh, data that's relevant and information that's relevant to their daily lives and have it um, brought right to their desktop. You know, there's so much talk about authenticity and truth and transparency um, with social media. Um, and it seems to me, at least, you know, whenever editorial oversight is exercised, you know, things are omitted and things wind up becoming more important than others. And that's really a subjective exercise. So, I mean, is the whole idea of objectivity, while it may be a noble uh, endeavor, is it really just a myth? I, I wrote several years ago for the Online Journalism Review that we ought to just uh, trash the term objectivity because I think it's become, um, it's got so much baggage behind it that people just, you know, they hear the word and they they turn off and they say, come on, you got to be kidding. Um, and it's that's become especially pronounced in the last few years where blogging has put up as its cardinal rule the idea of transparency. And 
you know, in in a way, these two kinds of ideas are, are at odds with you, with each other. Um, in newsrooms to this day, the idea is to to take yourself out of a story, to, and that is what they mean by objectivity. That you're trying to tell both sides of the story. You want to be fair. You want to be balanced. All those things are really important. But the idea of objectivity where the reporter doesn't have a point of view is just kind of ludicrous to a lot of people. Um, so, you know, I don't really want to know what uh, Tom Brokaw's position is on global warming. You know, it doesn't really matter to me. But um, I think we're, we're entering an age where that kind of transparency is becoming important to a lot of people. They want to know the context. They want to know the background of where this person is coming from if you're going to trust what he or she has to say about a particular kind of subject. You talk about these uh, Web 2.0 companies and uh, paint a picture of them or characterize them as small and nimble and, and ready to move quickly. And if you would, contrast that against your experience inside the newsroom at a newspaper. Yeah, it's a little bit sad to say. I mean, I was in newspapers for so long that um, you sort of get um, used to the kind of bureaucracy and resistance to innovation and new ideas. Um, everything has to go through committees or through these chains of command of upper management. Um, and very seldom do they just let you uh, run with a new idea. And that's become, I think it's become a real problem. And one of the things that, I'm, that I've seen in newsrooms is um, the fear of failure. Um, when I jumped into Silicon Valley and these startups, you know, um, it, it's just so refreshing to see the idea that, okay, you know, we're all going to make mistakes. We know we're human. We're going we're gonna to stumble. We're going we're gonna to fail now and then, but it's okay. You, you learn from your mistakes. You move on. You, you innovate. Um, and newspapers, you know what? They're, they're so far behind the curve of innovation, unfortunately, that um, they're really in danger of becoming irrelevant to a large um, element of the audience. Um, and I, I love newspapers. I think they have an important role to play. I think it's really important for our society and democracy to have them around, to keep the government honest, to do investigative reporting, in-depth reporting, the kind of stuff that individual bloggers can't do. But if that kind of culture of resistance to, to innovation and change continues... Um, I think they're going to be in real trouble. J.D., what's the difference between citizen media and citizen journalism? Well, citizen journalism is a narrow subset of citizens' media. Um, journalism implies that you're out there uh, doing some sort of uh, reporting or first-person observation or, or coverage of an event or, or a subject, where um, our media is more of a citizens' media site. We let, we let it all hang out. We let people upload, you know, uh, um, coverage of anything that they want, uh, video blogs, podcasts, photographs, um, um, uh, music videos, any kind of digital creativity. So I think, you know what, I think that's what is really going to be taking off in the next couple of years, where people aren't interested in doing uh, journalism so much because, you know what, it's still work. Uh, while citizens' media is more about creativity, and it means... Um, you're going to have a lot more people who are who are passionate about their subject and and uh, really involved in, in creating um, interesting um, audio and video works that they want to share with whether it's a small audience or, or a larger community. Um, you know, you're seeing just more and more of these sites springing up uh, from now public to Oh My News to Wikipedia, which is an encyclopedia 
encyclopedia that's sort of a citizen's media site um, to sites like our media, which are all about uh, sharing video and sharing citizen's media. So it's just it doesn't mean that people are going to be turning off the traditional media and going to this new channel, but it does mean that this new form of uh, creativity and communication and entertainment is sort of rising up along the traditional Hollywood um, um, access and big media access. And it, it means that, um, you know, as, as media is fragmenting into these kinds of micro niches, um, more and more people are going to be turning to other channels like internet television and, and the web for their information and entertainment needs. I'm going to ask you a stupid question. When I, when I characterized uh, our media as populist, you said that implies a political agenda. I can think what you might mean by that, but I don't really know. What do you mean by that? Well, it's also the same problem applies to the term citizens media. Um, citizens implies a certain kinds of kind of public responsibility. And that's why I've been sort of shying away from the term for the last <laughs> couple of weeks anyway. And, you know, you could, you could talk about grassroots media, participatory media, uh, media 2.0 is a, a term I just coined. But it really just means that uh, people are picking up the terms, um, people are picking up the tools of the media. Uh, the technology is becoming easier to use. It's becoming, uh, it's coming down in price. Um, you know, my six-year-old is now making little movies, you know, uh, with the kind of equipment that would have cost more than a house just a decade ago. So, um, you know, we're, you know, all this stuff is moving into our cell phones or moving into the devices we're using in our daily lives. Um, so any, so anybody walking down the street can capture on a cell phone, you know, a, a, a video snippet or a photograph of something that's interesting, click a button, share it with the world. So they're becoming a sort of global publisher. Um, so that's, that's all I mean, that um, citizens um, implies a certain kind of public responsibility. I'm talking about just a broad-based a broad kind of engagement as being a part of the media. J.D. Laska, thanks for joining us. It's been fun. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.